You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jim Starlin, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. My name is Curtis Findlay, and I'm your host. And I hope you were with us last week when we had our roundtable discussion of the Infinity Gauntlet miniseries with a bunch of my co-hosts. That was really fun. You may have heard some clips from an interview with Jim Starlin. Well, guess what? This is the episode where you get to hear the whole interview. And we talk about everything that Jim Starlin did from Iron Man number 55 as a fill-in writer and penciler introducing the character of Thanos and uh, then going into Captain Marvel, Adam Warlock, um, and then the death of Captain Marvel and, and the Infinity Trilogy. And we cap it off there just because, you know, the focus of this podcast is pre-2000 kind of uh, Marvel comics. So I don't want to get too far into the future because, man, that guy has done so much. This is a really good interview. Uh, just a couple of notes. Um, there are a couple times when the audio t- cuts out a little bit. There was a, a bad connection. So he goes in and out in a few different spots. So please forgive that. And also, um, this, we recorded this before the movie came out, so we talk a little bit about stuff that looked cool in the trailer, not knowing how it's going to play out in the in the actual movie. But since then, boy, we both have seen it, and we both have loved it. And at least that's what I understand from the, the interviews that I've heard with him uh, talking about Infinity War. If you haven't already, I would love it if you head over to patreon.com slash thunderquack and become a supporter. Uh, you can hear a bunch of uh, cool exclusive inter- interviews, including myself and a couple of other people talking about um, our thoughts on Infinity War that we recorded um, a few days after the premiere. Uh, and then there are a bunch of other things relating to various different aspects of pop culture because the Thunderquack Network covers a variety of things over many different podcasts. So, quick story. I was a big fan of Tailspin, the cartoon, the Disney cartoon, in 1991. I think that's when it came out, 90 or 91. Um, I was about 10 years old, and I, I love the character Don Carnage, the Sky Pirate. And so the funny thing is, later when I started getting into the comics and found a character, the character of Carnage in Spider-Man comics, I thought that guy's name was Carnage because that's the only time I'd ever heard that word pronounced was on Tailspin. And you know, I'm 10. I don't even know what Carnage means at that time, but um, that's that was so I just called him Carnage. And my best friend at the time, uh, he was in a comic book store and was getting ragged by some older kids in the comic book store, probably teenagers or something, because he was pronouncing it Carnage because that's what I told him it was. <laughs> and they were all like, what are you, nuts? It's Carnage. But anyway, the, the reason why I'm telling you this is because this interview is possibly maybe the first time I've actually heard the, the word Thanos pronounced. Because in my 10-year-old mind when I was reading comics, I just pronounced it Thanos. 
And I thought, I thought that's what it was. And so, and I didn't even realize I was doing it in this interview with Jim until I'm editing this. I'm hearing my way of pronouncing it and his way of pronouncing it. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so embarrassed. I'm pronouncing his name, the name wrong in front of the creator. So uh, you can chuckle along with that when you hear me pronouncing Thanos a little bit incorrectly. So enjoy that. And also enjoy the rest of this interview because I think you'll love it. Here it is, Jim Starlin, everybody. Okay, where shall we begin? Yeah, well, why don't we begin at the beginning? Um, it's it's really fascinating to me because there are not many creators who who create a character and then it travels with them throughout their career. I can think of some characters like um, like Mantis, like Steve Englehart's Mantis, but for you these characters you got to create pretty much at the beginning of your career and and that's been your career so can we talk about at the very beginning leading up to your opportunity to write um iron man 55 with with thanos the very first appearance of him okay i came to new york as uh, marvel comics was expanding from like eight books a month to something like 20 and um Roy Thomas was the editor-in-chief at the time, and uh, he and Stan hired me on to do little bits of work around the office. I eventually sort of became their de facto art director, making corrections on other people's artwork and doing up sketches for other artists to pencil, and uh, eventually got a couple of covers, and George Tuska, who had been the regular penciler on uh, Iron Man had to go into the uh, hospital for some kind of operation. And so they needed a few fill-in issues and Roy tapped me to do it. Uh, the first one with uh, Thanos and Drax being introduced uh, was scripted by Mike Friedrichs. And the second one I did, which uh, I worked the late speaker on, uh, Stan hated the job so much that he immediately fired both Gerber and I. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, it's true. Uh, luckily, uh, Roy had enough work to uh, get us both onto other projects, and uh, that's when I started up on Captain Marvel. So before we move on to Captain Marvel, can you tell me, were these characters like Drax and Thanos, um, Mentor and all of them, were they in your mind before you had the opportunity to, to do Iron Man 55? Oh, yes. Uh, Thanos, I had sketches on I did that were in my portfolio, which got me work at Marvel. Uh, Drax was uh, sort of a rework of this design I had done for a character in the fanzines called uh, Dr. Fate. And uh, he was originally just a destroyer. And I, I think uh, Roy said we need to get another name. And so out of the blue Drax came. He was Drax the Destroyer, so he could be differentiated from uh, the Destroyer in the Thor comic book. Right, of course. Wow, so how thrilled were you to be able to actually get these characters into um, a, a big publication? <laughs> I was thrilled just to be working in comics, period. Yeah. You know, I was 21 years old, just out of the service, and uh, the fact that somebody was paying me to uh, do what I loved doing was just unbelievable. Uh, to this day, I can't believe that I've done 40-some-odd years uh, working as an artist and not having to take on some other jobs like construction or dishwashing or what right, have you. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's quite remarkable. 
21 years old. Wow. That's a blessed life, what can I say? Yeah, I guess so. So Captain Marvel then, when you got onto Captain Marvel, let me just check, who was editing you on that one? It was Roy, Roy right? Yeah, Roy. Um, yeah, he was editing anything. He didn't have any assistance or anything at that point. So what did he tell you? What was? Did he just give you kind of a blank page to do whatever you wanted with Captain Marvel, or were there some parameters? Back then, it was get the book in on time. That was the only demand, basically. Uh, <laughs> wow. I'd come by his office to talk plots, and he'd say, who are you going to use this time? i say, well, okay, uh, maybe do Super Scroll, and he'd go, go for it. And that was it. I mean, Roy was stacked up to the roof with work, and so anything that would cut his workload down, he went, opted for, and he trusted me, so it worked out just fine. Wow, that's fantastic. Were you following Captain Marvel before you got on the book, or did you have to do any research? Actually, um, when I was in the service, I had a subscription to Captain Marvel because that was one of the books that didn't usually show up at the PX. Okay. I, I think I got like one issue before they canceled the book, and I ended up with a, an X-Men subscription after that, which I didn't <laughs> really care about. <laughs> so you were a big fan of the cosmic stories even before you kind of started writing them? Oh, yeah. Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four and his Thor, they're my favorites. I mean, anything that got out in just outer space, I was just fascinated with. Maybe it was my uh, post-adolescent dissatisfaction with the world, but uh, escaping it was always something I loved doing in the comic book. Mm-hmm. So with Captain Marvel, you kind of reinvented the character. You gave him some uh, some new powers, made him cosmically aware and such, and brought in all of your characters as well. And so what is your motivation behind the changes of, with Captain Marvel? Well, the book wasn't selling well. And when Roy gave me the assignment, he told me it might not make it through the first fill-in issue that I was going to be drawing because the sales, the revitalized uh, Captain Marvel were poor right from the start. They decided to give it another issue or two to see how it went with me uh, doing the drawing and uh, plotting it. And uh, as we went along, the sales went up to everybody's surprise, and it became a respectable selling book within a short period. So, um, you know, we stayed with that as long as uh, things worked out. You can see your work evolving as well through this book. Um, I've picked up the Captain Marvel Complete Collection trade that has all your Captain Marvel in there, and... uh, um, there's that one page in, in issue 28. It's like an abstract page with Drax and Thanos kind of peering into each other's minds or existence and such. It, it's just a a remarkable page. Unlike I think that, that's the one with 35 panels or something like that. Something like that. It's a crazy number, and, and it's just fantastic. And uh, you didn't see that stuff in comics at this time. Did you like like being experimental like that? Oh, yeah. My outlook on it is, and not just with art, but with everything, is that you ought to try to do better than you're capable of doing. And so, you know, I never had uh, training or manual dexterity to be a a tremendous illustrator, you know, like on the lines of a Reed Crandall or a Neil Adams. uh. So, you know, I was trying to experiment out with uh, storytelling and just the layouts of the page, anything that would push me to uh, go a little bit further. Do you prefer the writing aspect then um, over the, the drawing part? Well, seeing that how I blew a big hole in my hand uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, and every time I sit down to try and draw, I'm, uh, the hand cramps up, I definitely enjoy the writing part a lot more. <laughs> yeah, these There's days. no pain involved. 
Right. You also got the opportunity to do some other work for Marvel, like um, the Marvel feature, like the Thing 2-in-1 issues and, um, and Marvel Special Edition with Master of Kung Fu. How, how do you compare your experience with those books compared to doing the Cosmic books? Well, Roy kept on trying to get me onto books that he thought would sell better than Captain Marvel, and I really love Captain Marvel. And so uh, the two-in-one book I did for a couple issues, and even then I stuck in more Thanos stuff involved in it. And yeah. uh, Shang-Chi was something that Steve Englehart and I were big fans of the TV series Kung Fu that was running at the time, and we wanted to do a comic book adaptation of that Unfortunately, that was owned by uh, Warner Brothers, who had no interest in doing that sort of thing, which owned DC. Uh, so we had our own character. Going along, uh, Stan had to Fu Manchu along the way <clears throat> sometime earlier. And uh, he said, well, we got to put Fu Manchu in the book. And I had never read a Fu Manchu book. It was only after I got done with the first issue that Larry Hama, uh, who worked at the continuity, uh, said, have you ever read any of those? And I said, no. And he's in the next day, he produced a, uh, with a food book, sat down over the next couple days and read it. And was horrified by what racist pieces of shit these things were. <laughs> yeah. I'm promoting this. And, you know, so there's a couple of issues. I, I got off the book. I immediately started just doing layouts and, told Roy I couldn't do, work on this thing, and he was cool about it. And so, you know, I was full-time, and so uh, I came to the end of my run. Wow. Well, that was an interesting ex- um, exercise, then, for you to do something completely different than Captain Marvel. Yeah, you know, there were nice breaks in between issues while those t- things occurred, but, you know, was, I, I had my eye on where I wanted to go, and it, it mm-hmm. had to do more with the cosmic space stories. So why did you step off of Captain Marvel when you did? Well, what happened was every issue had a new anchor, and finally, uh, Anson on the book, and Klaus was set to become the regular anchor on the book, and... Uh, the production department ran late on something, and they pulled Klaus off, and I ended up with Jack Abel, who was a very good anchor, but, you know, they had broken the agreement with me, and I said, okay, I'm going to go over and see if I'm fine. The DC will honor their agreements better. And so I went and over and worked over there for a while. And then you returned for um, to, to do Warlock, Strange Tales. Yes. Was, did someone approach you, or was that something you sought? Roy contacted me through uh, Al Milgram, who had started working to do some inking, and said, come on in, let's talk this over, we'll work something out. And by that time, I was already inking some of my own work, so the idea was that I would ink whatever project I did. And Roy said, "Uh, what would you like to write and draw? And I said, well, let me go home and look through this stack of comics I have in a box there and see what uh, pops up and what catches my fancy, and Adam Warlock did. And so I went back the next day and I said, can I do this character you and Gil Kane did, Adam Warlock? And he said, yeah, go for it. So that night I sat down and I uh, drew the very first page of uh, the Adam Warlock series and went on from there. Now, it started in Strange Tales, kind of an anthology book. And I guess it was popular enough that it spun into its own series? 
pretty quickly, uh, we had fairly good sales on it. It was still a bi-monthly book, you know, because I couldn't put anything else faster than that. But uh, it was selling up there respectively, and um, I think they wanted to do something else with the Strange Tales title. I know they did reprints for a couple issues afterwards, but I think they did start it up again. And so we just went off for number nine and uh, did the run on that until Marvel and I came to a party in the ways again, and uh, I went off and worked in animation in California for a while. Now, the Warlock book is very different than Captain Marvel, and the thing that strikes me is just it's it's way more humorous and just absurd in a lot of in a lot of ways, just just outlandish. Um, why did you want to go in that sort of direction with Warlock? Well, early on, I always decided I wanted when I did a story, I wanted to maintain. And the fun parts with figuring out what BC uh, and so on would be. Uh, with Captain Marvel, it was turning the warrior into more of a uh, holy, uh, spiritual type of character. Uh, once I got on Adam Warlock, I realized that Roy had already done a spiritual character with it, so I decided the route to go with that one would be uh, turning him into a schizophrenic paranoid, uh, a suicidal schizophrenic paranoid. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It, you go in some very strange and, and quite entertaining places with that. Um, and, of course, you bring back Thanos and you enter, introduce kind of the rest of your cast of characters that kind of follow you throughout the rest of your career. Can you tell me a little bit about the, your characters like Pip the Troll and Gamora and Magus? So like, where did, where did these come from? Do you, are these ones that you had before in your portfolios as well? No, they were all new for that uh, series. Um, I was reading a lot of uh, young uh, Castaneda, a lot of psychology books at that point, And, uh, all that stuff was outshoots of it, uh, except for Pip the Troll. He was based on Jack Kirby with his cigar and all that. Uh, Gamora was to uh, give a little bit of a feminine touch into the boys' club I had developed with Thanos and Pip and Warlock. Where Pip was uh, there to add some humorous relief to an otherwise very grim story. Uh, Gamora was there to just sort of balance things off against the matriarch, who was a female antagonist at the, up until that point uh, on the other side of the, way, uh, the ledger there. Right. Uh, we hadn't revealed the Magus' uh, part into the story at that point. Uh, the Magus was about duality, uh, starting to uh, examine you know the darker and lighter natures, which uh, I'd started with, uh, with Warlock, uh, with uh, Thanos and Eros, who came out of a psychology class in, uh, after I got out of the service. Basically, uh, I had the idea of wanting to do this future character. You know, the good guy of the story has gone bad, and uh, he comes back to uh, haunt the good guy before he ever has turned this, made this turn. Uh, and, you know, early on, I decided that the only way to beat him was to commit suicide. So everything up until that, up until that final Avengers annual, uh, which we did later on, uh, was leading up to that point. It was more of that taking them from A to B to C to D and so forth. And the series didn't last too long, and you had to finish your story in those annuals that you're talking about, the Avengers annual and the two-in-one annual. Did you finish it there just because the series was canceled and you couldn't finish your story? 
Well, I quit the series before uh, the series got canceled, and the okay. series only got canceled because uh, they ran out of paper uh, from the TV. Oh. So they got canceled at that point. Uh, Kill Raven from War of the Worlds, uh, a couple other ones. I think Clue Cage may have gotten the axe at that point. Okay. Uh, they just didn't have the paper for a number of months, and so those lower uh, hanging uh, fruit got picked from the tree and tossed. But uh, once again, I had a spat with Marvel uh, this time over changing some artwork inside uh, the story, which you know they had agreed not to do, and then they went and did. So uh, I just you know went off to do something else. Hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about killing Adam Warlock. Did especially Roy? Did he have any issue with uh, you killing off one of his characters? Well, by that time, uh, Roy was no longer the editor. Uh, at the beginning of Warlock, Roy quit. And he was followed by Len Wein and uh, Mark Wolfman and finally Jerry Conway. And under Jerry's uh, leadership, that's when I quit. After my spell out in California, I realized I wasn't cut out to be an animator or anything out in those uh, movie set things. I uh, came back to New York and I ran into Archie Goodwin, who was the editor at that time. And he said, hey, you know, you never did finish I've got an annual. How would you like to do it there? And so I said, okay, you know, I'm back in New York. I need to get some money up to get an apartment. Uh, let's do it. And so I finished off uh, Avengers annual in record time. And uh, he said, hey, we got another one you can do if you really want to get some furniture for that apartment. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I'll do the two-in-one. And that's where we finished off the story in that one. Did that feel satisfying to you? Was that a good ending to your, to your, I guess, your first round of, of Cosmic Worlds here? Yes, it was, because I was about to head off and start doing uh, the Metamorphosis Odyssey, and uh, I wanted to do more creator-owned stuff. I think I did the price first off, uh, and then we worked into the Metamorphosis Odyssey. So uh, it was just going to be a good uh, stopping point. Only later on did I come back when uh, Jim Shooter became editor and made to do the Death of Captain Marvel, and afterwards we would do the Dreadstar uh, graphic novel after that. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the Death of Captain Marvel, it remains to be, I think, one of my favorite things that Marvel's published. It just ha- has such a deep emotional impact um, of, of this character. It's my favorite story. It's so incredible. When did you decide to kill Captain Marvel? Well, it was a marvelous decision. Um, Jim Shooter came to me and said, you know, our writers just don't know what to do with this character. You know, you've had a nice run on it, but uh, the sales on it keep going down, so we're going to kill it off, and we want to bring back a new Captain Marvel who's a female, uh, which they did, and that's it was the character that's now called Photon, I believe. Uh, so... I came up with like three or four, or maybe five plots. Uh, each one I hated more than the other because they were all these, you know, heroic character dies valiantly at the end of a long struggle. You know, it would have been done before. Yeah. And I just didn't feel like doing it. And my own father had passed away uh, about a year before of cancer. Oh, and wow. so I started thinking about that. And uh, next thing I knew, I had a plot, turned it into Shooter. All his assistant editors hated it because it wasn't a big fight-up scene. But Jim liked it and gave it the green light, and uh, it went into nine printing. So uh, I think Jim made the right decision. Yeah. So you had sort of first-hand experience 
to see what cancer would do to somebody. Yeah, doing the book was a cheap form of therapy for me. Wow, that's amazing. And you can tell when you read it is there's so much um, detail and and empathy, I guess, put into it. It's just fantastic. Well, it was also a difficult book to draw because I dislocated a finger playing volleyball during that time. Oh, no. And so when it came time to inking it, uh, at this point I bought a house up in uh, upstate New York, and uh, I had to uh, finish this job because I needed the money again. And so every morning I would get up and I would take a, a uh, felt-tip pen into my hand. Uh, literally taped it so it wouldn't come out, and I would do the, the inking on those pages. And at lunch, I would take a break on my hand, have lunch, come back, retape in, and finish it off. And that's why you don't see any long, you know, very long sweeping lines in that job. It's all this very nitty nitty kind of inking. It sort of looks like uh, Mobius is like I was trying to yeah. emulate him. But the truth was, I couldn't get any further than that. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> okay. I wasn't good at long lines on that point. Wow! Yeah, it has a very distinct style, and the coloring to it uh, is wonderful as well. Did you work with Steve Olaf on that, or did you just kind of leave it up to him? I pretty well left it up to him. Uh, he surprised me with a lot of nice things. He he turned, like in some of the bedroom scenes, he turned uh, wall panels that I had drawn into windows and painted all these nice-looking buildings outside, which I thought, oh, that's terrific. <laughs> nice. So, uh, no, Steve was on his own. That's, uh, that's all Steve, and he did a terrific job. Yeah, he sure did. And then you take a break from Marvel again. Um, do you get? Do you feel like you got typecast as a cosmic guy when you went to other places and and did work for them, or did you purposely say, "Hey, I want to do, I want to do this kind of story for you guys"? Uh, when I draw, my thing was that I, I used to say that when I draw, uh, I always went for the cosmic stories because I wouldn't have to draw any horses or cars. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, the truth was, I always found it interesting creating up new worlds where. I could tell the story, and that way I could avoid being preachy, or I could sort of look at a problem that was facing people in a different way. I didn't, you know, they were trying to get me onto other books. Uh, I mean, I did Shang-Chi, and then uh, when I did leave Marvel that time, I went over and did Batman and killed off Robin. There was nothing cosmic about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that was another fantastic story. <laughs> what did happen with that was uh, after we killed off Robin and we made that their best-selling book over at DC that year, uh, turned out licensing realized they had all these lunch boxes and pajamas with Robin on them still. <laughs> and so somebody had to take the blame for it, and so I ended up getting it. And within two or three months, all my work at, at DC dried up. Really? Wow. Really. But it worked out just fine. That's when I went back over to Marvel and started doing the Silver Surfer, which led to the Infinity Gauntlet. So it worked out fine. Yeah, moving into the 90s here, how far in advance had you planned things when you started Silver Surfer? Did you always have Infinity Gauntlet as your endgame? Well, whenever I come back, by then everybody realized when I came back to Marvel, it wasn't really to do Captain Marvel or Warlock or the Silver Surfer. It was to do another Thanos story. Yeah. And so he got stuck into the Silver Surfer book right off the bat. And at that point, uh, the Permletter group was uh, had bought Marvel, and they wanted to squeeze every sense they could out of the company. And so anything that sold at all got a follow-up title. Like every had their own book at one point, at least a miniseries uh, during this time spell. 
And so when the Silver Surfers uh, sales went up uh, after they started writing it, uh, they wanted something more. And so that's where the Thanos quest came in. We ended up doing a sidebar. The story was supposed to go right back into the Silver Surfer after that. But the advanced sales on the Thanos quest were so good that they said, we want something more, something big. And that's when I started kicking around. I mean, the Infinity Gauntlet was where he was heading, but it just got into a bigger, uh, where Thanos was heading, but it got into a bigger deal. And we started going around, seeing what characters we could bring in. And it was kind of interesting, because on the Gauntlet, a number of the editors didn't want uh, their characters involved in it. Like Bob Harris, who was the X-Men editor, said, now you can't use any of our X-Men. Right, yeah, they're pretty absent from that book. Yeah, and uh, in the end, I think it was Tom DeFalco who was the editor at that time. He said, "No, you got a lot of news to, uh, two of them here, at least a couple of them." So that's where Wolverine and Cyclops were in there, right? And they also did tie-ins with those books. And when they did the tie-ins, they sold much better while the Infinity Gauntlet was running. When we got back and started to do the Infinity War, which this was a sequel miniseries. Everybody and his brother wanted their characters jammed into that book, <laughs> yeah. and I had to, I had to include characters I had no idea who they were. Like yeah. there was one called Sleepwalker. Right. I mean, I had no idea what he did, and so he he passes by in background in the scene at one point or another. That's about it. <laughs> well, for Infinity Gauntlet, then, so you're saying that they came to you saying this story's too big for the Silver Surfer. Let's let's make it its own thing and make it bigger. Yeah, that's what happened, yes. Wow. And then you got teamed with George Perez to do, uh, who right. was drawing it, and, um, and and you stepped off of Silver Surfer at the same time. Why didn't you want to write both of those concurrently? No, I actually stayed with the Surfer for a while. I started having Ron Mars work with me on the Surfer, but uh, we stayed on the Surfer after the Gauntlet, um, I only left the surfer once they felt comfortable with Ron. And okay. And we were also starting to do the Infinity Warlock and the Infinity Watch book. So that's where I, I went over to write that. Right. Because okay. in the Silver Surfer, I did the Dynamo City story, which was a big slam at DC Comics, Dynamo <laughs> City. <laughs> so I stuck around for a little while longer just to vent my spleen. One of the earliest Silver Surfer comics I ever read was the one where he's standing in the unemployment lineup. It was so weird, so funny. Kind of it like... was, that was the Dynamo City series, yep. yes. That's right. So Infinity Gauntlet, what was the fan reaction when these issues were coming up. I know they hyped it quite big. I remember the hype. And uh, where, from your perspective, what did it feel like? Well, it felt nice. You know, I've, until, re, until this year, I've never really been a lot of comic book conventions, so my interaction with fans and that has been minimal over the years. I, I, I tend to like to keep a, a low profile. I, what was the movie now coming out? I can't seem to do that as well. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, the folks liked it. It was selling well. Um, you know, it didn't really change much else in my universe. Uh, I still lived up in the woods and uh, went about my normal days. Well, it wasn't like a big game changer. It was just, okay, this one worked out pretty well. <laughs> On to yeah. the next job. What was your favorite moment in the Infinity Gauntlet miniseries? Maybe the Captain America Thanos face-off. Oh, yes. Uh, that seems to have gone over big with a lot of folks, more so than I ever expected, because uh, it really wasn't any big action scene. It was just 
him deciding to let uh, Captain America live. And it's been kind of cool, this newest trailer. That scene is obviously in the trailer, so I said, oh, I recognize that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to see how it plays out if they do the same thing that you did. Yes, let's hope he don't kill Chris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> that one issue, what is it, issue four, I think, where all of the heroes get slaughtered in different ways? It's just fantastic. Just uh, It's like a we've never seen anything on this level in comics before. And um, now we have, like, you know, Deadpool kills the entire Marvel Universe or whatever. But this was new yeah. and exciting. And, like, it, it, you know, it left your jaw hanging on the floor. Was that your intention? Did you purposely want to shock people? Well, I've been, I was writing some novels at the time, which were horror novels, basically, science fiction horror novels. And those are pretty gruesome. Uh, so I, I suppose I had a gruesome streak going through me at that point. And uh, this is just uh, another way to vent that. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, it, it turned out so well, and it led to... Um, the Infinity Watch. Now, was and was that an idea you came up with um, after Infinity Gauntlet? Like, where where does Adam Warlock go from here? They asked me to uh, go off and do a Warlock series of some kind. Um, you know, I still had the the. He ended up with the glove at the end, so uh, with the gauntlet at the end. So I, I figured I had to do something with it. I, I don't remember exactly what the process was or what prompted it, but. It was a chance to bring in all these characters that I loved uh, and had used before and uh, put them to different use. And uh, they all fit quite nicely into what the the gems were. You know, Pip being able to travel gave him much more of an active role in the story, uh, bringing in Moondragon, who I didn't create, but she uh, got to be added to the cast, uh, Gamora, Drax. And it was a chance to make Drax uh, more humorous. I had, up until that point, I had no idea what to do with Drax. <laughs> he sort of came in as, uh, you know, Thanos' kryptonite. And uh, basically, I sort of worked him to the side as much as I could until he became, you know, brain damaged uh, in an Avenger story. And I thought, oh, this is terrific. I can make him into a big, dumb green thing, which they didn't have at Marvel <laughs> at the time because Peter David was writing the hall. Hulk, and he became, had become smart. And right. Marvel's got to have a big, dumb green thing. <laughs> and they seem to have uh, used that in, that version in the movie to a certain extent. Not exactly the same, but he's definitely on the humorous yeah, side. Yeah, it's a nice combination there of the, the new one and the one from the watch, I think. Uh, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I've never asked uh, Gunn, and I haven't met Batista yet to ask him, but I think that's probably what they had in mind. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the sequel... Infinity War, whose idea was that? I'm pretty sure it was mine. Uh, you know, it was, it was offshooted from, uh, you know, the Magus story coming in, bringing him back, and uh, we decided to do doppelgangers of all the characters, uh, which was fun and turned out to be much more work than we expected because every character had to get approved up and down the line from all the editors. Oh, really? And poor, poor, Ron, poor Ron had to do several versions of things. But out of it came uh, the character Carnage. Uh, you know, Ron uh, designed him up, and uh, later on somebody else gave him a name, and he became a regular character in the Spider-Man books. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, it was just... Uh, this was on to the next job, and uh, what could we do, and uh, how could we up the ante a little bit? And uh, 
the Magus was a good one to bring in to do that. Now, like you said, there were so many tie-ins. Everybody wanted a tie-in in this book. Who got to coordinate all of that? It was pretty much Craig Anderson's job. He was the editor on the book. And uh, we laid out the edict that I wasn't going to change anything in the main story, and they would have to work around the main story, which is the only sane way to do this. Most of these other crossovers that have, have come down and the ones I've worked over at DC, uh, the main story gets changed terribly because the more influential writers and editors on these other books say, hey, we need this change. And as a result, most of these uh, big crossovers that you have nowadays make absolutely no sense because they've been uh, picked and matted uh, at and cut apart and edited until they, they become complete babble. <laughs> <laughs> So we had we had an advantage going in on the fact that we said, you know, this is that you can come in, uh, you know, I will ahead of time put your character at a scene if you need him at this particular month, but like in Sweep, Walker had to appear at a certain time in the story. Um, so he just appears briefly and he's gone. And that kind of thing worked out pretty well. And Craig looked over the stories to make sure that nothing got untoward off-base on things. So, uh, you know, it all worked out pretty good. I'm sure it gave him headaches along the way, though. Well, and if that wasn't big enough, you then move into uh, Infinity Crusade to kind of wrap up your your trilogy here, and that story's so big that you have to include Infinity Watch, and you start up a new title, in Warlock Chronicles. Yes, we, we kept expanding on the story as we were going along, and... Uh, it was kind of an interesting project in the fact that we were going for religion. And one of the things I wanted to determine was what religion every each one of the characters were. On some of them, it was kind of easy to do. Uh, there was a story somewhere along the Fantastic Four that showed that Sue Storm and Johnny were Catholic. Doctor Strange, of course, would have had uh, a Buddhist, uh, Hindu kind of background where he was at. The other characters, it wasn't so easy, And but as we got along and as we came near the, the, the completion of the list, we suddenly realized that Marvel Comics that had been created by all these Jewish and writers and artists back in the 1940s and up through the 60s yeah. didn't have one Jewish character in the entire cast. It made sense because, you know, they were of their time and... Gentlemen's Agreement and other stories like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they just didn't want to do anything that was going to hurt sales. So there was no Jewish characters. Uh, In the end, we ended up uh, deciding that Sasquatch was Jewish because he was from Poland. That's how how desperate we got to find Jew. (laughs) Wow. Um, I was going to say, in in later years, the thing became a a Jewish character. I think they revealed that he had a Jewish background. Yeah. But that wasn't at your time. That was oh. after, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of fun doing that book. Uh, it was nice kind of doing, taking the good side of the Warlock character and showing just how extreme this character was that even his good side was a menace to everybody. Uh, so I enjoyed doing that part of the story. Yeah, it's a great concept. And it's... it's uh, it, it was it was nice a nice way to end it as well because you've been spending your entire career talking about 
gods and characters that want to become gods and do become gods, um, but never about religion and that side of things. So it was a very different take on the story that you've you've been expanding on all these years. It was also, uh, I realized that this was about as far as I could go from the well at that point. Uh, a number of the editors up there at Marvel at that point were very upset that I was getting to do all these big uh, books. And one of them raised such a stink that uh, the editor-in-chief, Tom DeFalco, he pulled the the book from the listing of oncoming titles that they had going around the office uh, and just told everybody that, you know, it wasn't going to happen while he still had me working on it. Oh, wow. And the editor who... Uh, the editor who had been raising all the stink one day caught me at the elevators as I was leaving. Goes, oh, what are you doing up here? And I said, oh, I'm working on some things. And he goes, oh, I I thought you were out of work here because we canceled that book on you. And I said, well, you know, uh, they found other things for me to do, and left it that. Laughed my ass all the way down the elevator. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I forgot to mention is that uh, between Infinity War and Infinity Crusade, you did uh, a miniseries, or you did a graphic, a Silver Surfer graphic novel, and a miniseries called Resurrection, uh, and you actually drew those, which you hadn't been you hadn't been drawing for a while. Yeah, this was coming back and exercising those muscles. And uh, you killed off Shalabal. Well, we had done that earlier in a graphic novel that I did with Bill Reinhold. And uh, she she died at the end of that. And I always promised that if I'm gonna if I get the if I break the toys, I put them back together before I put it back in the box. Okay. And so, resurrection was basically bringing Shalabal back to life, so that when they finally got around to doing the Silver Surfer series again, they would uh, have her as a central character again. You know, his love interest. Right. So basically, it was fixing up breaking the toy. You know. I see. Wow. Okay. Well, I, uh, I'm i happy that we plowed through that and, and got to everything. The, this has been a fascinating conversation. I think that uh, um, I just love this stuff. I Growing up, um, I didn't pay much attention to the cosmic stuff. I, of course, read Infinity Gauntlet because everybody was. But uh, because of these new collections that have come out, I've uh, with like the, the Captain Marvel and, and Warlock Complete Collections plowed through those and they're just so great so i thank you for your you know 40 years of 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 working with these characters and bringing them to life and uh and just entertainment it's just fantastic and i thank you and all those readers out there who kept me alive all these years is there anything you'd like to plug any any like novels that you want to tell us about or anything like that well i have an art of book coming out through ominous press around the time the movie is a Life in Words and Pictures is coming out through Joe Pruitt's company. I mean, it's being reissued in Joe Pruitt's company. Plus, I've been working on some novels, two of which are available now on ebooks through Amazon. I'm just maybe weeks away from finishing the third of the four uh, stories involved in this uh, Hardcore Station series. Once I get the third one done, I'm going to start looking around for... Uh, a uh, hard copy uh, publisher. Uh, nice. But in the meantime, Hardcore Mind Games and Last Goods Boys are available through Amazon. Perfect. Let's see, do I have anything else to publish? Oh, there's this movie coming out that they sort of base some of my some of the stuff on. Yeah, what is that one called again? You should give that a plug. <laughs> I don't uh, think that one needs a plug. It I seems think. like it's got infinity somewhere in the title, but um, 
I know it's not the Infinity Gauntlet, but you know, <laughs> it'll come back to me. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Uh, wow, thank you, Jim. Thanks again. This has been a real treat. Well, uh, I'm glad we could do it there. 